it's amazing how songs can not only kind of unify our thoughts, but walk you kind of through things that are so important to remember. And this morning, we were singing this song about welling up within us, which seemed pretty simple, but I kept thinking of the Holy Spirit that should be constantly flourishing, constantly welling up in my life. And then we went to really a song that looked at Christ's victory on the cross, and, and now what we've just sung, it's, uh, it's very rich, uh, even for your pastor, if you will, to, uh, to be reminded of powerful things, and that's what we do when we come together, not only from God's Word, but through the music. So, I don't know if Tim can hear me now, but uh, Tim, can you hear me? Hey, Tim? <laughs> I just did that for effect. Uh, <laughs> I thank him for, he thinks deeply about the songs that he chooses, so I appreciate that. Hey, we're in the third part of our series, Timely Truths, Sobering Sayings of Jesus, episode three, if you were keeping count. But we're in Mark chapter three, verse 25. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And I'd like to Put it into context, so read with me if you have your New Testament open to the Gospel of Mark, or or listen to me as I read verses 22 through 25, 27, excuse me. And the teachers of the law, the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables or figures of speech. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Hadn't meant to read that far, but Jesus makes it clear that to ascribe what he's doing to Satan is to commit a sin that can't be forgiven. But what we see here, and this is at the beginning of his ministry, and in chapter 1, we're told by the gospel writer Mark, he came preaching. The kingdom of God has come. Repent 
and believe. And he chooses his disciples. And here we're told in verses 7 and 8, which we did not read, that people are thronging to Jesus from all over Israel. And then we're told, as we read, that the teachers of the law, I can't imagine a more august and noble group of leaders, religious leaders, they come from Jerusalem. Now, they're traveling north. It says they came down. Just by the way, when you read in the New Testament, whenever Jerusalem is mentioned, it doesn't matter geographically where it is. You always go up to Jerusalem, and you always come down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the high place. So when it says they came down to Galilee, that they actually went north, and it's quite a trip, and I find that rather interesting, and I think you should note it, is that, that Jesus has attracted the attention of the religious authorities, and they are there to find out what this guy's all about. And if you can imagine him then in public teaching and a crowd about him and the religious leaders join the crowd and it is, so to speak, on the fringe, perhaps, we might imagine, that they begin to speak even as Jesus, as they've been observing him and he is practicing these feats of great power. He's healing people of various infirmities But he's even exorcising or casting out. That is, he is freeing people from demonic influence. And sometimes the two even go together, the infirmity and the demonic influence. And the religious leaders begin to tell people around them, let me tell you what's really happening here. What's really happening here is that this man is possessed And the power that he is exhibiting is the power of Beelzebul. Beelzebul is a word derived from Baal, the thunder deity of of pagan belief. And Baal also means or is used to make reference to a lord or a master or a prince And Zebul is the word for house. So Lord of the house, prince of the house. In other words, a reference to Satan. And Jesus himself acknowledges that when he says, can Satan? There's no confusion here about what's going on. And so Jesus puts it front and center. Can Satan cast out? Can Satan fight Satan? You see, he goes on to say in three quick figures of speech, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it cannot stand. It is impossible, he says. If a house is divided against itself, it is impossible. It cannot stand. In other words, these institutions that are made up of people if dissension seeps into their relationship, into their common bond and ideals and purposes, 
that institution, that house, that kingdom will begin to crumble. It will begin to fall. It cannot stand. And so in verse 26, his third figure makes it very clear. If Satan rises up against himself, he too is divided. He is not able to stand. And moreover, please note this, his end has come. It is the beginning of the end. And the most notable thing that we have to appreciate here, and we have the benefit of the whole New Testament, but don't miss the power of what the New Testament is built upon, the life and actions of Jesus. He did these things before the New Testament was written. What he says is, this is what you think is happening. Teachers of Torah, teachers of God's revelation, teachers of God's law, his scriptures. You are the leaders of Israel. And you say that these things I'm doing are not the power of God, but the power of Satan. You think then Satan is pitted against himself. But let me tell you what's really happening. I have entered the strong man's house. I've tied him up. I have bound him, and I am plundering his kingdom, his house, his domain. That's what you see happening. Now, this corresponds perfectly with what Jesus was preaching and demonstrating through his actions of power. He wasn't just a magician trying to wow people for personal gain and influence, that he should pursue some human gain or advantage. He's demonstrating what he's been preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom has invaded. It's marching into the territory of Satan's domain, his house. And when you see these acts of power, it means that he has been bound and defeated. His end is come. So Jesus, you see, leads the invasion. And that's still true today. Let me just, uh, I, I was afraid this was going to happen, but let me explain something. When Jesus comes again, he will come with irresistible power. His kingdom will be manifest. But his kingdom come, its arrival is a battle for your life and for mine. You, every person, every individual, 
because God has not chosen to take over except through the weakness of his great power of love and grace, won on the cross and demonstrated in the gospel. If you can get that, you can understand why we live in a world under siege and where your life becomes an outpost, an outpost in foreign territory for the gospel, for the demonstration and evidence of the kingdom of God so that people can see in you the reign of God, the rule of God. And when you enter the kingdom, you become a citizen with all of the appropriate and accompanying privileges of citizenship. In fact, God puts his spirit in you. That's why the church is the front for the kingdom of God, for the gospel, for the work of Christ. But what does the world see? What is Satan's power? Jesus demonstrates here that Satan has no power against God. We could have figured that out on our own, right? So, how does he exercise his power? Serious question. Oh, I I suppose he could toy with people's cars and just kind of wreak havoc, you know. But really, his real power is the power to deceive you, to play upon our own passions and desires to elevate ourselves in idolatry, which is really what is always at play when we choose anything but God who created us and asks us to be his creation, to trust him, and now through the gospel has demonstrated how magnanimous, generous, loving, forgiving, merciful. Everything good comes from his hand. Sometime on any given day, just look out the window at God's creation when you're feeling gloomy or down. Isn't it odd how when we're in pursuit of our own desires and self-interest, which are usually what's at stake and enter into the confusion, complexity, and disenchantment of our hearts, but it can be liberating even to just set our eyes on God's creation and realize what an act of such grace and beauty, creativity, and joy. And yet now it's, it's all seen as a part of a much greater reality and purpose through what God has revealed in Jesus Christ through the gospel. It pulls it all together, past, present, and future. And you and I are the battlefield 
That's why Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is John in his own strength without Jesus Christ, which is the way I was trying to live. It's the power of Adam. It's your base default existence in Adam, but now in Christ, my life, your life too, has been invaded by the Holy Spirit. And every day there is a battle for you, and Satan is aligned with your human passions and nature, which are kind of naturally set against God. Because God says, follow me. Do it my way. Trust me. Love, don't hate. Be patient. Don't be greedy. Care. Don't react and be resentful and vengeful. I've got you. I've got your back. Give it some time. Trust me. Take it my way. Follow my way. So I hope that helps to understand that Jesus leads the invasion of the kingdom of God, and he is ransacking Satan's house, his domain. But within the kingdom of God, it's still true. Within the church, which is the manifestation of the reality of the kingdom of God, it is to be, poor as it may be. United we stand, divided we fall. United we stand, divided we fall. And I want to look at the dividing way, and I want to look at the uniting way. And I'll try to do this pretty quickly. Satan divides and conquers. Jesus unites and conquers. It's as simple as that. Satan is the dividing way. Jesus is the uniting way. Satan wants to divide you from God. Jesus wants to unite you with God. He does it all. He does all the hard wiring, the spiritual hard wiring through his work on the cross. In other words, everything's in working order. It's not a wire that's been disconnected. It's, it's, it's not... Um, you know, some part of the machine that has failed that is the problem. No, everything is in working order. The computer hardwiring and the mechanics of it are working. It's the software. <laughs> it's the software. But we have a patch, the Holy Spirit. And that patch is constantly at war with the bug in our system. For those of you, that's my limited <laughs> computer ease. United we stand, divided we fall, but I'd like you to think this way. Uniting we stand. Uniting we stand. Dividing. We fall. Are you, are you a uniter? Are you uniting? We all need to be uniting. 
We are all called to be uniting in Christ. And yet it's our selfish nature that when somebody offends us or hurts us or... Hey, and I'm admitting, this is a hypothetical, but let's just imagine that the hypothetical is a down and dirty deed. There's no disputing it. It's wrong. But then we become a divider and not a uniter. Just think about that. All of a sudden, we feel that we have this legal, lawful freedom or right. Isn't it interesting how we fall on the law, use the law to justify us going rogue and doing it our way and not God's way, the way of the cross, the way of mercy, the way of grace. God's grace is lavish. It's not a finite number. If it's a finite number, then we've got the gospel wrong. How did he love you? Without limit. He's still doing it. I know this in my experience. Your pastor is a sinful man. Just like I look out on you and I know you are sinful men and women. But God has taken up and occupied you. And he says, tomorrow is a new day. Everything's new. It's still new. Why? Why is that? Because of mercy and grace. And why continued mercy? Why hasn't it run out? Why hasn't the grace been dried up by your sin and mine? Because it's unlimited because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You see how this all works? This is what empowers uniting. This is what empowers the church and your life and mine to move forward in the power and truth of the gospel that we should be able to do things that are not humanly possible in our own weakness, even in the power of the law. The dividing way is Satan's way. There was a, it was a really silly illustration that I read, but since I've been involved in so many garage sales, it kind of hit home. And I have wrestled with Shelly, my, my wife, over what should go in the garage sale and what should not. And sometimes people look in and they see in the garage itself Hey, is that for sale? And Shelly's far more <laughs> willing to put a price on it than I am. And this actually happens, supposedly, in this story with Satan because he was holding a garage sale and somebody wanted that wedge. He said, I'll give you a good price for that wedge. That's a beautiful wedge. I could really use that wedge. I've got to split so much wood. 
And Satan said, no way. That's my favorite tool. I'll never give up the wedge. And that is his means. Paul gives us such a clear example in Romans 16, 17 through 20. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them. For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. But their own appetites. For these are the kind who do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. Your obedience is known to all of us, and thus I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. Now, you see the connection between dissension and following Christ and the crushing of Satan, in other words, that robs him of his power because his power is deceit and dissension, even within your own homes. And it is so common and so natural to our own nature is to say, it's your fault, you fix it first, then I'll come along. Then I'll do the right thing. Then I'll get on board. Then I'll let God empower me. Then I'll let God guide and direct my words. And we've got the law on our side. But I want to underscore, God did not use the law. The gospel is not built on the law. And he is a just God who gave us that law. It's a standard for sure. But now that standard shows us that God's grace eclipses it in ways that cause us to fall to our knees in worship and our eyes to well in tears when we begin to appreciate in a fresh way again how much God has loved us and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ and the power that he has given us in his spirit. But that power is unleashed, not in the service of ourselves, but in the service of what God wants to accomplish through us. That uniting work, not that dividing work. In fact, in the Gospel of John, no less than seven times the issue of Jesus being demon-possessed comes up. Isn't that amazing? Seven times. And in chapter 8, they questioned his birth. They even accused him of an illegitimate birth. And we dealt with that, touched on that a couple of weeks ago, going back to uh, what was going on there between Joseph and Mary? And so that becomes a question of paternity in, in the entirety of John chapter 8. And the religious leaders 
say, look, don't you talk to us because you aren't worthy because of who you are. You're disqualified. God can't use you because we know your birth is illegit. And we're legit because we were born, we are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Abraham, they say, is our father. And now listen to this. Jesus says, your father is the devil. You're the children of the devil. You're his offspring. Oh, man, talk about ballistic. And he said, let's take a paternity test. Now, a paternity test today involves blood and DNA. But back then, it was a very simple test. If you were the child of your father, you acted like your father. The desires, the wishes, the will of your father was reflected in your own conduct. They used to call that a chip off the old block. And Jesus says, let's look at your behavior. You're trying to murder me. You're trying to kill me. That's the work of your father, the devil. And you're lying. You're speaking untruth. He says that also is the work of your father. He's the father of lies. And that's what is reflected in your actions, words, and behavior. Now, let me ask you this. It's good to know that we are secure in Christ, that we have his Holy Spirit, that we belong to him. Our inheritance is sure. We are co-heirs with Christ. When we die, we shall not die, but we shall live forever. But we can't just name the name of Jesus and then go off and do what we want and follow the will and the pursuits and the desires of Satan. We're to be different. And that goes for every aspect of life. And when we fail, don't whine and cry. Just get up off your butt and get back in the game because God has forgiven you and his mercy is great. And that's how we know joy. And that's how we can fulfill James 5.16 and share our sins with one another because it's not about you confessing something that shocks me. There's nothing you do in word or thought that I haven't done in word or thought. Get real. We share it because we both in concord, consent, and agreement agree with God at that point and say, you know what, that's not his heart. That's not what he stands for. That's not what he cares about. That's not what he wants us to do. And we don't look down on one another. We look over at one another in compassion and mercy. And we learn because we realize we're in this together. And that's how we thrive. And we become people of compassion and mercy and forgiveness because we know who we are. 
And it shows in the way we treat each other and that we're compassionate with outsiders. And people say, you know, I don't agree with their doctrine, but man, the way they treat one another. It's hard for me to believe in Jesus, but wow, look at the love that they have for one another. And none other than Jesus said, by your love, they will know that you are my disciples. And that's not what I'm seeing in the church across this country. What about the uniting way? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, for they will be called the children of God. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me repeat that. Love. Joy, peace, peace, joy, patience, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness. Are those the works of dissension? Are those the works of division? Where has love created division? Back in John, where they said he was possessed of the devil, somebody was uh, talking to some friends in John chapter 10, and they said, don't listen to that guy. He's demon-possessed. And the person responded, these aren't the words of someone demon-possessed. Now think about that. These aren't the words of someone demon-possessed. That's right, because the words of the demon-possessed create dissension, suspicion, doubt, discouragement, despair, disenchantment. The words of the demonic destroy people. But not the words of Jesus. And it shouldn't be the words of his followers, his disciples. In fact, that person went on to say, not only these aren't the words of someone demon-possessed, that person went on to say, a demon cannot cause the blind to see, can it? Jesus stands for healing. The kingdom of God stands for healing. The church should stand for healing. You and I should stand for healing. I realize we may not have the power, the raw power of Jesus to wield at our command, at our will. Maybe it's because we're not trustworthy enough. Maybe it's not a lack of faith per se. Maybe it's a lack of obedience. Maybe we're not inspired with the grand purpose of what God is doing in Jesus Christ through the gospel. 
and what he could be doing in your life, in your relationships, in your very house. Can you imagine what it's like for me to preach week to week? God hammers me every week. But it has been transforming for my marriage, transforming for my ministry, transforming for my personal life with friendships, relationships. I still have a little bit of trouble driving, but... (laughs) Right? But boy, my response time... Because we're constantly thinking about the Spirit, constantly. Even when we're not, when something like that happens, we know I'm out of whack. I'm flying on my own power, not on yours, O Lord. But I wanted to cast the vision. Does it mean that... I'll save the rest of that stuff for something else. Does it mean that you could be a loser? It does. Haven't you reckoned with that yet? Haven't you come to realize that the life of grace is so full, so rich, that you can absorb losses? That's the way it works in the gospel. But that's not the way we are humanly built. That's not the way Satan operates. When he rebelled, he chose that very path where there's no grace. But see, it's through grace that you and I can forgive because we have been forgiven that much and more. That's the way grace works. Grace doesn't win through coercion and oppression and manipulation and power. It wins by the power of love through the cross. That's why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And that is echoed throughout the New Testament by Paul, by Peter. This prosperity gospel stuff that I get whiffs of, it just doesn't square with the New Testament. It doesn't. It doesn't square with the gospel. Yes, you're a child of God, but that means you bear a cross. You don't get rich. So, uniting, we stand. Be a uniter through the power of God, equipped with his grace to live and serve and represent the kingdom of God, his church, in the power of his spirit. Will you stand? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Man. 
it really is overwhelming, Lord, what you've done for us in Christ, and it's just for us to believe, to turn it loose. Not over there, but right where we're at. Right this morning, right before we leave this building, if we are to go into the parking lot or into another ministry the next hour, or whatever it is we're doing, to realize who we are in Christ, who you want us to be, and have empowered us to be. Father, it's a beautiful thing, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And all God's people said,